This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. I felt my name was so messed up, my heritage, my people, and that I was such a sinner. And that brought a conviction in my life. And I said to God, God, would you redeem my name? Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Calling. I am Richard Clark, an editor for Christianity Today. We are here with Morgan Lee host of Quick to Listen, CT's other podcast. Hey, Morgan. CT's favorite podcast. CT's favorite podcast, apparently. Um, (laughs) We are, by the way, on the final, this is the final episode of The Calling. It's a little sad. A little sad, a little bittersweet, I would say. Okay. The reason it's bittersweet is, you know, CT's doing other things instead that are going to be cool in the podcast space in particular. Yeah, not a lot to say about that right now. Yeah, and you got to interview 67 really interesting people. Exactly. So, yeah, we'll talk more about what the calling has been like in a minute. First, I just do want to let people know that today we're talking to John Perkins. You know who that is, right, Morgan? I know who John Perkins was, but for those people who may not be familiar with the work of Dr. Perkins, he was actually one of the first... African-American evangelical leaders to kind of explicitly call for racial reconciliation. He's written a book called One Blood, Parting Words to the Church on Race. He's the author of nine other books, things like A Quiet Revolution, Let Justice Roll Down, etc. And he founded the John and Vera May Perkins Foundation. So it's a really good interview. I highly recommend you continue listening and check it all out. I wanted to mention that there's I had a really interesting experience sort of waiting to do this interview. I met up with him at the Legacy Conference, I believe it was, last year, and uh, sort of ended up waiting around for him for a very long time. And the reason was he kept talking to people who loved him and wanted to meet him and like really appreciated him. He was really present. He was extremely present with them. It was fascinating to watch him interact with not just sort of like niceness, which is what you often see and are impressed by with Mm -hmm. people who are fairly well known, but with um, a lot of sort of gracious interest and care towards people, which is something we talk about at the top of the interview here. That's really interesting. And it's a cool thing to get to see someone kind of doing ministry and then getting a chance to talk to them and yeah, not even, you know, willing to make you kind of inconvenienced in some ways because they really felt it was important to be present to those conversations. Exactly. Yeah. I really appreciated it. I think like it's just been a real, it's just been a real privilege doing this podcast. Would you say that this podcast has changed how you listen to your own friends? A hundred percent. One of the things I've told people was that in some ways this podcast became a discipline for me because I'm not good at listening. Okay. And this podcast forced me to become good at listening. I, I, it forced me to 
like put other people in the spotlight for a moment. (laughs) I know I'm unveiling a lot about myself right now, but like it's, which is ironic, (laughs) but, but it's like, it's been a really interesting opportunity to like formalize these habits that I want to cultivate within myself and that hopefully other people listening would want to cultivate. What did you learn about listening from this podcast? I think I've learned that um, relating other people's experiences and life wisdom to myself actually does, sort of counterintuitively, goes a long way in understanding someone else. Like one of the things that um, I made a practice of doing on the podcast was compare contrast. I think it helps to draw out other people's idiosyncrasies and differences and their diverse opinions and approaches by saying, yeah, I get that. And one of the, like, I struggle with that too. Or it's interesting because I don't feel that way. And I, maybe it's because fill in the blank. I think it often like unveils something a little, a bigger picture, right? Of both of our realities, but more theirs because they're sort of like sharing the majority of the ideas. Exactly. And it's a, a way to bring more of yourself to the conversation without hijacking the conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the calling has been cool. I highly recommend everyone who wants to, to go back and just check out all the old episodes. They are evergreen in my opinion. That's one thing I'm really proud of about them is they'll never go out of style. I don't think. And, um, I would just say to anyone who's sad to hear the calling go away, don't be sad just stay tuned to this channel. Check out Quick to Listen. In the meantime, CT is doing other stuff in the podcast space. We are not going to slow down when it comes to podcasts, so um, there will be more for you. So just check it out. All right. And here's my interview with John Perkins. It was an interesting experience following you out of the building today. You get a lot of greetings. You get a lot of love. Yeah, I get a lot of love because I think I try to affirm the dignity and the embrace, and I think that's a leader's job. But I think it's a in life, people want to be received, and and I grew up without a mother, without a father in my life. And I think I longed for love and acceptance. I didn't feel that strong because I didn't feel like I had much to give in terms of public. I had a great work ethic on my job. Then when I was was called into the ministry, I really pretty soon recognized that I was responding to God's call for my life. And then, of course, I began to grow from there. I think there have been times in my Christian life when I was not as, I think I was intentional to witness to people, but I did not understand the deep affection and love I could have with people. And I think I got that through the teaching of Jesus and St. Francis. I always quote St. Francis, you get what you give and what you wish for others, you do it to them. And of course, that's the teaching of Jesus, really accepted and lived out by St. Francis of Assisi.
Yeah, that was the that was the interesting thing. I think that plays into sort of what I was observing tonight, which is like there's there's an awkwardness in being a fan of someone that is that is a known figure because there's this unreciprocal relationship that happens like you you're not able to have a relationship that goes both ways in the same way but it seems like at least on the in the sense of res- respect mutual respect you are able to convey a mutual respect for anyone who was talking to you like that's something you seem to excel at yes i there is something that i think in my development and in my poverty and a lack of education uh, I never felt deeply inferior, but I didn't think I had nothing to say. Mm. Do, do you come to my right in life? So it wasn't like you actively thought, "Oh, I'm not worth anything." No, no. I but, I think I felt that I, I never felt inferiorly ignorant. I felt uneducated and informational ignorant. Okay, I think yeah. That's what made me a good. Uh, 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 a loyal employer in life is that I thought I could learn what people taught me how to do. Yeah. And I, I ended up becoming a welder uh, and putting designs and things together. Well, the other folks would do the drawing and the architecture stuff, and I would put it together. But putting it together was really, in a great sense, the acid test was the framework for the product the execution yeah, of it right yeah, yeah you, right and so uh uh yeah so i but then when i be- felt called of god and i was disciple uh, i remember the one of the ladies a former missionary from brazil she said to me uh uh the bible is a biblical story and it's a story probably she meant i don't know how she said it in those days she meant it is the story about the revelation, incarnation of God on earth. And the Bible is a story about that. And she said, you got to know the story. And so she told me to know the story is to understand the whole Bible. And so I uh, I, I wanted to understand the whole Bible. And she told me to read the whole Bible. This is before it, you were a Christian? Yeah. When I was a Christian, that was after I became a Christian, but it the reading of the whole Bible became my first great era of discipleship. Something almost miracle happened to me as I started reading the Bible. And that's why I believe in the calling of God, you know, and, and, and I and I sort of believe that God is always calling is whether or not we are listening. Right. And I consider prayer for the believer to be listening. And in this way now, you are now listening for the direction and the will of God. So what would you say is the your calling? I think, well, when I started reading the Bible, uh, it was difficult for me to understand it because the Bible was not written in the everyday English language. In addition to that, I was an Ebonic speaker, hmm. spoke within my context of my uh, dialect yeah. in, in, in Mississippi. So, uh, uh, so the Bible was not that easy for me to read. Uh, it, it didn't have 
relevant meaning, you know, in Genesis, in, you know, uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth without form and void, darkness. So, uh, I bet you I read over that and all that genealogy uh, without really understanding what it was. But as I was reading through the Bible, began to read through the Bible, I came to Abraham's calling, and it was the 12th chapter of Genesis. To me, that's where Genesis began at, was the call of Abraham. You'll learn that later in your theology, because Abraham is the founder of our faith, and he's the founder of the true one living God. And that's where you that began to reveal itself there. And that passage said something like, uh, and I'm reading it in order to understand it and to know it. And and we got there and it said that uh, God uh, had said to Abraham, get thee out from among your family and from your father's house, and I will make you, I will bless you. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it seemed to me like what he was saying to Abraham, I made the assumption or I heard it like he was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that's when I really thought I would feel a call of God. Now, what happened to me, I was reading it and didn't understand it. But when I got to that point, I said to God, uh, he said, I said, God, redeem, I will make your name great. And I heard that to say, um, I'm going to redeem your name. Or better yet, I felt my name was so messed up, my heritage, my people, and that I was such a sinner. And that brought a conviction in my life. And I said to God, God, would you redeem my name? Your name, yeah. What did you? What do you mean by by it was messed up by by heritage? My family, we were bootleggers and gamblers. Okay, and and so wrong is what we practice for a living. So the Perkins family was right, was right. known as it was bootleggers. Very very strong. Okay, very strong. Yeah, and then I realized now I had already confessed a desire to know God. I probably at this point already been baptized. You get the idea okay, yeah. in the faith. And so I was what I was listening for, I was being disciple and listening for God's call and purpose for my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happened many times very close to conversion. You hear it sort of come on, Lord, what would you have me to do? Right. Since this is your presence and I'm you're speaking to me. And in my case he was speaking to me through the word. I assumed that he was speaking to me. Yeah. And I felt that I wasn't adequate in terms of my moral standard in life. Yeah. Even though I had confessed Christ. And I said, redeem my name. And I think that was something like feeling forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feeling forgiven. You but felt it finally. I, I, I finally, mm-hmm. when I asked him, to redeem my name. And this is what happened. I looked back down on the scripture and I began to read it. And it seemed almost something like uh, a recorder went off in my brain. And what I was reading, I began to understand it. And it began to, 
act like it's stuck there. You never heard me teach. But uh, uh, as I teach the scripture, uh, I can just memorize the relevant scripture, and I can just take a whole text, and I I, I memorize it, not memorize it so much as you would think of memorize. I memorize it as I read it. It, my brain comprehended it. Like internalized it. it right, yeah, right. Yeah. And then, like now, those passages are still in my head and in my memory, and they are in blocks. Now, I think I learned a lot of that, blocks of, of content. So when I teach the Bible, it's rather easy for me then to bring up that whole text in order. You so so uh, I got the Bible sort of in texture order in my head, and that makes it to me very easy then to pull up and explain. Now that is no doubt as a gift, but right. the brain also have great capacity to absorb that which you deeply want to absorb. You know, and then, of course, I think once you give your life to God, I think the Spirit is there wooing you on. And if God has called you, he wants you to do that. You know, so uh, I do believe very deeply in the call of God upon a people's life. And, like, uh, you know, uh, I sort of believe as I read this scripture that God is in the highways, the byways, and he's always calling out calling out to us and i think prayer is that divine way of uh listening of hearing to what god have to say yeah do you you said that um your family was doing wrong do you feel like you participated in that at some point i, I felt in your past? like it was the culture around me okay i think I realized at an early age that that was uh, against the law, but I became very aware, and every black person in that day realized that the law was upheld and instrumented by white people Mm -hmm. who treated us like second-class citizens. So it's only it was the law in their sight. This is in Mississippi, too? It was a law in their sight. Right. I obeyed it. Yeah. But who cared about that law? Yeah. And there's a lot of folk like that. And I think a lot of people go to prison because of that. Do you understand? Because they're rebelling against what they're they see as unjust law. The system yeah. That they know is already wrong. Right. And that some people never adjust to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some people, I mean, you know, even doing their. Uh, civil rights movement when we began to be educated in terms of the civil rights movement brought a lot of education uh, for freedom. Mm-hmm. You had to know about freedom and all those kind of things to really uh, seek it. And and, and those are, that was one movie. It was about a, a, a young man grew up not in the church but was in Love with, I had a girlfriend who was a Christian, and uh, and uh, and he observed the pastor warning them to live more strictly by the white man law, 
and he wanted to live by the law that he thought was right. The name of the movie was uh, in order to help us and help who it was written for, nothing but a man. A black man wanted to be a man. He couldn't be a man. He was a boy. Yeah. Wasn't no room for no black man. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't many, no room for black ladies. Yeah. She was, if she was old, she was an aunt. Yeah. If she was young, she was aunt. So and you're saying in the perception of society was right. there was no room for a black man or a woman. Right. To be yeah. a real man or right. a real woman. You was to be inferior. Yeah. And that you would uh, hear huh. all the time. And I would hear that. And I would hear even black women passing that on to their black man who wanted to be a man. He'd be talking about something. He'd say, you can't do that. Well, it was against the white man law. And, and I would ask that, what on earth are you talking about? You, 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 I can't want what I want to want. Yeah. And you can't, you're not supposed to want what the white man don't want you to want. Right. But you're talking about, so what, I'm curious what specifically you're talking about because you're not talking about just wanting to break the law and do like lawless things. You're talking about no. To be, there, well, there were specific ways loud. that if you, you could, right in the street. You couldn't talk loud. Right. If a white uh, man wanted a seat, you had to get up and go to the back of the bus. Right. So the that, the laws were I, in place to make you feel inferior. Oh yeah. Right. The uh, there's a book that was written during the civil rights days in uh and it was it was called uh. Mississippi, the closed society. And the idea was that everything in the black man environment was designed to make him feel like, feel inferior, mm -hmm. to make him feel like he was a nigger. Hmm. And once he felt like that he was a nigger, however that was described, that you wasn't as good as a white man, you couldn't sit here and you couldn't eat there, you had, couldn't drink at this fountain. So it was all designed to make you internalize your inferiority. Yeah. And that's still a part of the violence of black people. Right. So you're saying it's still happening. Now. It's still oh, happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. The kids in the ghetto unconsciously. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, drugs is the main deal. Mm -hmm. Crack and cocaine and pot. The policemen don't want them taking that. They think it's pretty good. <laughs> and they recognize the fact that it's outside the law and that they have to go outside the law to get what they want mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. And that will, will uh, uh, people then who don't get that kind of discipline is going to end up in jail. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. And, and, uh, and like and 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 really nowadays because they're gonna curse the policemen back, mm -hmm. and the policemen don't like to be cursed, right? But they curse each other black in the community, and so the guy who don't have no respect for that policeman anyway, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. What are you talking about that I can't do this? Yeah. In society, and of course, you can do that in your environment in the black community. Now, back in the days I lived in, the, we were servants to the white folks because all our job was that he was our boss. Sure, yeah. And so, what you had is a perfect storm. And I'm afraid, and what I've been afraid of, and I, I've been afraid, Islam have not took root 
that strong in the black community. It did during the 60s, late 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. But it lost its intellectual root. And you got a few now who are sort of intellectual and Muslim by some kind of faith belief. And so that people have not got on the side of Isaac, you know. And, and that, I'm not certain that that won't happen. Wow, yeah. Uh, in blacks who will feel so isolated and with some form of indoctrination right. by the Islamic group. But it haven't caught hope. And 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 uh, and I don't think society is giving much attention to it. Mm. I think there's a little bit, mm-hmm. but I I don't think it's very much a, a, a attention. And well, I believe if the society would come down too strong on these young drug dealers and black people, mm-hmm. they would accept Islam as a as a confrontation against. Uh, Christianity, humility, yeah, and uh, and uh, and that's why uh, I think it's so important for us to speak the truth in love, truth about the economy, mm-hmm. truth about enslavement, truth about the stupidity and the ignorance of white folk. You know, right. but said in a said from a, I I feel like every time I'm speaking that I'm trying to get white folks out of a of a gutter of, of, of sin. And I, you know, and, huh. I, and I call racism a sewage pipe and a gutter. gutter. Yeah. Yeah. And what I do with it, I talk about redemption out of it. And my redemption is the same way they would be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm out of that. I'm out of that hate sewage pipe. Mm-hmm. And you can't pull me back in there with you. Right, right. You, what that, does it look like to pull, for if they were to pull you back in, what does that look like? Get me to believe in the nonsense of something like Trump. Not that he's not a Christian, yeah, but that his philosophy of conservatism mm-hmm. and his philosophy of hating his opponent mm-hmm. and and hating him, right, and filling the society with things. The whole downfall is going to be he want to buy some information on Hillary Clinton so he can hate her yeah. more. What do you what do you do with the with the um with those who would say that that is a reaction to um to f- people a reaction of people who feel like they've been largely ignored by society who so like who? maybe like the the lower class white oh I talk about that deeply in yeah. my book Dream with Me mm-hmm. and I get more response from that Christianity Today did yeah a we ran that excerpt article on that. Yeah on that thing that I wish that I would have. Uh, there came a time when my plain talking and my concern for the poor and with a economic idea like cooperative economics and we need to share stuff together, buy together, pool our resources. And of course there was a punk wood strike that took place and black folk wanted to participate in this strike and poor white folks want to participate in it, and we found things in common. Yeah, yeah. And they began to listen to me. Huh. I talk about it. And then as I realized that, I didn't give as much attention mm-hmm. as I ought to give because I wasn't conscious. And I think there was still that uh, me looking at white folk 
as being ignorant because they do things against themselves in terms of racism. Yeah. You, do, do you sometimes? They yeah. Will, so you, a, you've so, had, you've had experiences in your life that are sort of beyond belief. Like you've, you've been beat up by people. You've been tortured by people. You've, you've had KKK come after you. Oh yeah. So d- how do you deal with that? Um, that's trauma, right? So how do you deal with that in terms of like your everyday white person, someone what? like me? I mean, do you, do you, or let's not make it that personal, but someone like you would just meet on the, on the road. Oh, like, are you suspicious inherently? No, do you struggle I, with that? Well, not, not anymore. I would have, if I wouldn't have went to California, I got new opportunities that would be young and a job where the people wanted me to work, mm. not as a nigger, not as a no good black person, but they wanted me to produce a good product, and they liked me and rewarded me for that. Mm-hmm. And I basically, I have never been on a job in my life that I didn't become the supervisor within my era hmm. in which I worked. Yeah. And then when I got converted, first that was my work, plus I was a part of the first integrated military. Mm-hmm. I went into the Korean War. Right. And so military can enforce equality. It ain't like yeah. out in society. Right. Because everybody's ranked. Yeah. Is over everybody else, and everybody is over somebody. Uh-huh. And that person who's over somebody, if you don't do that, you're a court martial. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, and so when it was integrated, uh, that I was in that. Mm-hmm. Korean Wall then came out, then converted, working for a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so then I localized some of my hatred. Even though my brother had been killed in Mississippi, mm-hmm. I localized that that all white folks are not like that. And yeah, then, so your brother had been killed by a, a white man. My white back in Mississippi after he came out of World War Two. Yeah, you see, you get that idea. A so World what War I did was yeah. localize it to Mississippi white folk. Okay, so you said it's it's those those people. Those people. Yeah. And then when I went back to Mississippi, it mm-hmm. was those people. <laughs> So you're right. You feel like you're right. (laughs) Of course I was right. Yeah. yeah. And then I had opportunity because I had then experienced uh, a relationship Mm -hmm. that was not like. And and even after I was beaten, and and I'm telling a little bit about now, and went through this period of my hatred for them Mm -hmm. because of the brutality of them Mm -hmm. come back. It was the whites that came around me after that, the civil rights workers and other people. Mm-hmm. And they and my doctors, they began to show a deep love. Mm. And I think they saw my response in their love for me. And I think a response of mutual love is beyond humans' ability to stop. Right. I think I, I I think love and respect uh a language like music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't stop me from patting my feet in in terms of music, <laughs> whether it's Ever yeah. Presley or whether it's somebody else. Yeah. If they are singing the tune, mm-hmm. 
and it makes musical sense. I mean, we you can't stop that. Yeah. yeah and first thing you know, we'll be dancing together. We'll be doing stuff together. You know, and so love <clears throat> and gets love and 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 love moves to friendship. And even hmm. in the South, in that very complicated relationship and racism, there was still friendship built. Mm-hmm. You can build friendships around those racial deal. You'll hear people will say, oh, white ladies will, will have nannies. And I know of so many black nannies who have led their whole family to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I know nannies who got inheritance just like the children got inherited right. from the owners because they did such a wonderful job yeah. with their children. I know, I know incidents <clears throat> of that. So there is, love is a powerful force. Mm-hmm. You, you know, yeah. and, uh, you can't stop a, a white man from marrying a black woman and you can't stop a black woman from marrying uh, a white, you know, vice versa. Right. You, you know, and that will go on under any circumstances. If they're rejected by their family, if they're rejected by anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so there, there is love and respect is a powerful uh, deal. Yeah. And then when you talk about adding Christian love to that, you're talking about something pretty powerful. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Yeah, how how is it more powerful as Christian love? I, I think because you are, you hear it as a command from God, uh-huh. love one another, uh-huh. for love is of God, and he that loves is bond of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, because God loves. That's pretty plain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty plain yeah. stuff. You We're know, supposed it, to love. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, did you ever doubt your calling? Uh, I, no, I don't think so. Never? I, I don't think I have You been, didn't ever think, like, I, I don't know if I can... No, if no. I'm supposed I, to do I, this. I, I, I would even challenge my anxieties as I have got older and as I have looked at failure, mm. my own failure, mm-hmm. and looked at things that didn't work. I think you, then you, you raise it deep. If you do it enough, you will re, re, raise. Uh, 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 I think you raise it with disappointment, but you will name it out of the will of God. Mm-hmm. And then I think you will come to a place of confessing it. 
I think a believer will come to a place of confession. I'm writing a book now, uh, and 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 there is I'm writing it on forgiveness, which is a very powerful, as I said tonight, um, a redemptive. It is the redemptive virtue. Yeah, yeah. And and it and there are two errors to it: me forgiving others and me accepting forgiving. Right of others and it's a double-edged sword it's really striking to hear you say that because you have a lot of reason to blame right like you have a lot of people to that you could blame that's right surely you struggle with that surely you have blamed people in your life right like or at least felt the need to think through how those things have affected you now, now you know there was something that you might not have read in my let justice roll down, I talk about when I was uh, about 11, 12 years old, I worked the whole day hauling hay for a white gentleman. And at the end of that day, he gave me, was going to give me 15 cents. And I realized that he was exploiting me. What I did was I began to think about how would this man was able to do that to me? And I began to think about how the economy worked. <laughs> That's your uh, response to that. To yeah. me, I said, and I said to myself, I said, I'm gonna make an exercise. The reason he exploited me, he had the mule, he had the wagon, he had the hay in the field, he had the job, uh-huh. and all I had was my labor, and I had no control over that. And I said, then if I'm gonna make it in this quasi-capitalistic society, I've got to get the means of production. Yeah. You gotta so get the horse I gotta and work stuff. Yeah. and save, and somehow I got to get the mules in the wagon and the hay in the field. Mm-hmm. So I'm not at this point. I'm blaming him, but I'm saying if I'm gonna get out of that, blaming him is not gonna get me out of it. There's an economics to this, and so you got to get the means of production. And so I began to understand the capitalistic system and how it worked. And even when I preach now, I I. I do think it when I'm in these conservative areas where I preach, mm-hmm. I will say that Jesus was almost a capitalist. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I will. I will make him a. Uh, uh, did he told us to invest in order to get an exchange? Yeah. And he called a guy who didn't sell the food and invest it and let it rot in a barn, and just to be a more bonds for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he called him a fool. Yeah. You know, so what Jesus said, he should have took that food to the market and made an exchange. And he also made some illustration on that, too, because he behaved at one point like a socialist. He went and hired a person at 8 o'clock in the morning, then went hired one at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then hired another one at 12 o'clock in, in the day and paid him the same money. Yeah. And he and, and he said to the, to the person who complained, can I do with my resources what I want to do if I decide to bless somebody? That's my privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I say he was almost a capitalist. Yeah. He was sort of a socialist, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, when it comes to, to what you do, the uh, the sort of like civil rights stuff you've done, how do you view the local church in that? I I I, so I see the lo- 
I think we have had models throughout the history of the local church. I think it has that in terms of the origin of the church. Mm-hmm. That, the, the community they created in Jerusalem was a temporary community mm-hmm. to meet a temporary need. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe living in community is the best way to live. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a it's a it's an absolute. Uh, Paul had a collective group of people. Hmm. Jesus had some people who served them, mm-hmm. and these was very well-to-do women. Yeah, and other people, and and probably Nicodemus and others who saw the value in what they was doing and came along and uh, and uh, and served each other. And of course, Jesus himself was a healer. He took care of them, and then he tells us in very if people are hungry, feed them. If they're naked, close them. If they're without a place to live, invite strangers mm-hmm. in. And so I think the church have had throughout its lifetime uh, a method that was there. I think we let classism and racism get in between that. How so? Huh? How so? How so? Well, that a good Samaritan is a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 it's discrimination based on ethnicity mm-hmm. and so-called race uh, in life. So, yeah. Um, what would you say is your biggest struggle? The, the biggest struggle I see is removing justice and the inherited dignity of human life as created under God eco. And I think until we can speak to that, but I think when we speak into that, I believe those are divine virtues. Yeah, I think justice is a divine virtue. Mm-hmm. I think if you practice enough, I think it would lead you to enlightenment hmm. to God. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 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 and I think practicing the divine virtues mm-hmm. of life will be the enlightenment, and I think that is a part of the enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, listen to what it says. Let your light so shine before the society that they might see your good work. Now, he's talking out to the believer. Mm-hmm. And the believer will see the need for the Savior. Right. Uh, and, uh, and probably sometime will feel the need through the good work. I know a lot of people come to Jesus Christ because they do good work. And a lot of people find blessing in Jesus Christ. Jewish people Mm -hmm. and other people, you know, Jewish people. I will talk to Jewish people, and then I will tell them about uh, my love and my religion, my Christianity. I call it religion. Mm -hmm. But I tell them what I'm doing, and they write me a check. Mm -hmm. Mm They write me a check. Yeah. Because you're doing the same kind of good work. Because they got a hospital, too. Mm Mm-hmm. They got a Jewish hospital. Yeah. You, 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 you know, the Messiah is not quite here yet. Right. <laughs> you, you know, so so there's value to exercising these loving virtues. Right. In society. Yeah. And and and, and yeah. And and that's where Jesus raised that with the healing of the uh, twelve, uh, ten lepers, how many it was. Mm-hmm. So that's. That seems that seems like you're saying it's our biggest struggle. What is what is your b- biggest struggle on a my, personal my level? My biggest struggle. I've been suffering in my last days out of what I was saying 
a sort of a captivity in the fact that I I uh, I, I went on too late and too long and missed out in telling my children, mm. you're at the place of accountability. You are responsible for yourself. You And I didn't tell them with the kind of uh, firmness. I think I still wanted them to love me. I, yeah. I, that might be a abiding weakness in so you're so what i'm hearing is like you're you're looking back on a life of hard work and and you're wondering if if you forgot something when it or that that you overlooked something when it comes to your children your family oh yeah life. oh no doubt this is a no. common thing i hear no. this from a lot of people that are like greats right like people that are seen as like big personalities i i hear this kind of thing and you, it's a you common... could find, you and you could find it on the other hand. I meet very well-to-do white people mm-hmm. who will say they never got along with their rich daddy. Right. Right. Yeah. And because he wanted them to walk in a way in order to get those richesness. Yeah. A, a better yet. He was gonna give him more, or better yet, he still gave it to him, uh-huh. but had that deficiency in his own life. Yeah, and I can say that for sure. Mm-hmm. I can say that for sure in my life that uh, that that I asked the Lord to forgive me, and I'm asking Him to continue in His redemption in our life. Mm-hmm. But I know, and 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 I'll have to be careful that I won't let their little tricky thing trick me up. Who do you get guidance from at this point? I, I think friends, mm-hmm. uh, friends, the depths of friends. Even though one of my friends, we are good friends, and we 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 are. I think I probably he talked about his more than I did. I think I sort of kept mine thing because I'm supposed to be more spiritual than him. Oh yeah, so you're like the mentor, and he's the mentee kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to him. Yeah, and I got the same problem, and you can see. 2020 when you're looking at somebody else's yeah better you can you own yeah it's true jesus said that yeah uh, if you get the log out of your own eye yeah you could see the other much better yeah 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 so, um so in a way like mentoring other people has helped you to see yeah your own stuff oh, yeah 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 and and i as i come to the end of my life, like I see forgiveness, and I'm afraid. I'm, I'm and I'm afraid of the way that they come at it with me. Oh, you got to forgive yourself. I think somebody telling me that is another extension of individualism, mm, mm-hmm. and telling me to be more selfish. Yeah, you know, you, you, you know, forgiving myself. You don't forgive yourself as much as you think God forgive you. Mm-hmm. I think you got to think that God knows you. I think what made David such a boy, David didn't forget what he did to Uribus. Mm-hmm. He didn't forget of taking his wife. Yeah. He felt forgiven. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, in the Bible, there's talk of like who has the power to forgive sins. That's, That's right. not. It's not everybody. It's not everybody. It's not us. Right. It's not us. We have to accept that. Right. That's and, what we and, do. We and accept. That's what we are doing yeah. when we say, "You got to forgive yourself." You got to recognize that you're being ripped off. Hmm. In fact, yes, you need to get more forgiven. You mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's where I am. Right. That's where I am. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm feeling more 
that way, and I'm feeling a little freer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little freer. Now, How so? on the other hand, uh-huh. that's what the epistles was about, learning how to overcome those abiding sins mm-hmm. and how to live in fellowship with God. And that, too, is a part of the redemptive vicarious death. To God not only forgive me for my past sin, but he forgive me for my nine-ounce sin. Yeah. You know, the blood of Jesus. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And mm-hmm. The truth is not in it. But if we confess our sin, and I think it's harder for us to see those sin that our children uh, 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 pushes us into. Yeah. On a personal level, what is your deepest fear? For me? What is, it, what is your deepest fear? I think it's my deepest fear that I won't be faithful. Okay, you 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 have you have been so far, right? I want to be faithful to. He to the said, very end. "Be thou faithful unto death." You're scared something's going to happen. It's possibly like that. It's possible that for that to happen. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have told us to be faithful. Yeah. Uh, now there is confidence that he loves us. Mm-hmm. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Right. And I give unto them eternal life, and they should never perish. Mm-hmm. He leadeth me. He maketh me to lie down and breathe, which means I'm hearing his voice, though. Yeah. I'm hearing his voice. So you have, like, a confidence but an awareness of your own limitations I, I, as well. I, I, for me, it's greater. It's, it's greater than ever before. And I want it to come out in this book that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I really want that caution to come out. Mm. Uh, one of the things that, I, as I read it and work with my editor uh, and my writer who helps, I'm going to take it out of the book. Uh, we talk about triampant. I don't like triampant. I don't like that word. What's the word? It's triampant, which means that you almost like you have the victory. Okay. That you have the victory. Yeah. Uh, I I want to have the victory at the end, yeah. but I want to be faithful. Yeah. I don't want to. Uh, uh, I think you can make mistakes right up into the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you could that, and I pray he might help me to overcome it. But I still have that that uh, that fear. Right. Some of that fear. Uh, perfect love. Of God, that's what it means. Casts out fear, so I know I can find deep love in Christ. Yeah, I want to have. If um, <clears throat> if you could talk to yourself as a younger man, what would you tell him? I think the answer to all of these problems is loving God more and studying His Word, as the preacher said tonight with more sincerity because I think Psalms 1 is a perfect psalm. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the one who walks not, sits not, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And his law does he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I think that has to do with loving God. Yeah. Loving God with all your heart and all your soul. So loving God is a big piece. Mm-hmm in terms of, of uh, God. Cast your eyes upon Jesus. Hmm. Look full in his wonderful face. And the cares of this world will grow strange to them in the light of his love and his grace. Hmm. 
um, I say that now, and I didn't have time to say it tonight and all that. <clears throat> I say that now to a lot of my young friends, especially it needs to be said to this new generation of leadership hmm. that uh, uh, make friends, make friends. Mm -hmm. I think friend is, friend and fellowship is the same. Yeah. Friend and fellowship. We walk in life, he's in life. We what? have fellowship one with another. Why do you think that's a, a, a message the new generation needs to hear more? Well, I, I think my friends <clears throat> have sort of proven to me that uh, that they love me mm -hmm. and they have been there yeah. for me. And I have been fortunate of 57 years of continuous serving God. And I have been, a, in addition to you know me being a pastor and doing all these things, I've also been a tent maker. Mm -hmm. You know, I've uh, reached a place in my life that my friend responds to me in terms both of my mission, but also as an advisor. Mm. They want to see me well, uh, live well. And if you, that's a part of a, of a leader's friendship. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and they will, they understand that if you see your brother or sister destitute of the thing that they need, and don't get them those things to buy. And I think friends will do that anyway. Yeah. Friends want to love. They don't want you to be in need and want. And I got friends like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I think then that I think I'm afraid too. I think I'm still afraid of failure. Mm. I think I still have some fear of failure. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Paul would call that walking circumspectly, mm -hmm. watching where you walk. Yeah. Don't hurt your friend. Yeah. Don't be unkind. Be reminder. Right. And, and, and I don't get no joy out of losing a friend. Right. I, I don't get no joy out of saying you too when he tell me there's something wrong with me. Yeah. I don't look You've for learned something. to listen. I don't like to find something wrong with him. Right. To justify me, keep on doing what I'm doing. Uh-huh, yeah. You have been listening to The Calling's final episode. If you liked that, check out our previous episodes. They're all really great. John Perkins is the author of One Blood, Parting Words to the Church on Race. You can find his foundation's website at jvmpf.org. You can find him on Twitter at John Perkins. Don't forget to check out Quick to Listen every Wednesday. It comes out with new episodes. It is CT's current events show with Morgan Lee and our editor-in-chief, Mark Galley. Stay tuned for this channel for future announcements about CT Podcast. The Calling is produced by me and Morgan Lee, and it is edited by Jonathan Clausen, who I want to really give a big thank you and shout out to. Jonathan is a big part of what makes this podcast amazing. He makes it make sense. He edits out all the dumb stuff I say in intros. He makes our guests sound even better than they already do. Uh, theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.
Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.